Don't you hear it? Mm, baby, do you know what that's worth? Oh, heaven is a place on earth. Right? They say in heaven, love comes first. We'll make heaven a place on earth. Ooh, heaven is a place on earth. Don't you hear it? You will. You'll hear it. You'll hear it. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Resisting Gilead. Today, we are going to be talking about Season 3, Episode 9, titled Heroic. So I got a little bit of feedback on this episode, just kind of general feedback that, you know, people didn't really think too much happened during this episode. But I think what was so interesting about it is that it was isolated pretty much to one room the entire episode. And I think the reasoning for that is, you know, this whole episode revolves around June being kept prisoner, so to speak, in, um, of Matthew's hospital room. Uh, we've since learned that of Matthew's name is Natalie. And I think it's basically because they want to, make the viewer as uncomfortable as they possibly can. And even if that uncomfort is just boredom, because that's what June has been experiencing. When the episode begins, we know that she's already been there for 32 days. It's very hard to tell how much longer she's really there. I thought that was kind of the brilliance of the editing of this piece is you know, they'd, there'd be a close-up on her face and she'd blink and then they'd be in a completely kind of different scene, different time. Um, so I think they just kind of wanted to drive home the discomfort that June was experiencing. I mean, there's the physical discomfort, of course, like sitting on your knees that way is no picnic, at least not for me. Um, you know, we could see that her, her legs probably lost circulation. Um, <laughs> she couldn't stand up to walk after being in that position for so long. It seemed like for the whole first month she was there, she didn't have a bed. So, you know, it's just, uh, it's meant to make us bored. It's meant to make us uncomfortable. It's meant to make us anxious is, is kind of my thought on that. And uh, I even listened to a bit of the behind the scenes and they had Elizabeth Moss talking about how initially for this episode, they'd planned to intersperse some flashbacks in it. Um, I imagine memories from June's past since, you know, it was, she was there trapped in the situation in her own mind. Um, I almost think it's better that they didn't. I agree with them making that choice because it just needed to be very focused on what was happening right then and there. One of the very early comments in this episode was that of Matthew is just a vessel now. She is just a vessel carrying this baby and she's alive but brain dead and their goal is to keep her alive long enough to basically bring this baby to term. And I think what's so interesting about that statement is 
last week, Tim Hines was on the show. And I think it was kind of during the sign up process, I created a Google Doc for people to, you know, kind of sign up and, and pick which episode, you know, they wanted to come on and talk about. And, and he wrote this little note in there saying, why do they call them handmaids? Why don't they just call them fetus vessels? And it just reminded me of that comment, because really, you know, that's what these women are. They are their breeding stock. And it's become very clear that their actual lives and happiness do not matter at all in the society of Gilead. It's really just about their ability to reproduce. You know, supposedly all of these women have tainted pasts and this is their way of redeeming themselves in the eyes of, you know, the, the Lord that they worship is, you know, to be able to help um, the country reproduce. Um, it's pretty twisted. You know, we see this downward spiral of June and something we see over and over and over again in this is the young girls in the pink walking by in kind of threes and fours. And, you know, I think at first it was hard for me to tell, is she just imagining this? Because, you know, she's got to be losing it a little bit. Um, but as time goes on, it's clear that she hasn't been imagining it, that the girls that are being walked through the hallways of this wing of the hospital are there to have a examination. They have begun menstruating. So technically when a, when a girl begins menstruating, it means that she is able to reproduce. It seems like in Gilead, they're trying to wait to make sure that their kind of body catches up with their hormones so that they could have six more successful pregnancies. And, you know, some of these girls are, are probably, you know, 10 and 11. And so, yeah, they're saying, oh, yes, you know, of course, they'll wait a few years before they're ready to have babies. And so it's like, oh, okay, 13, 14, 15. And, you know, it's clear. I think it just drives home the idea that, yeah, it's clear they want these girls to start reproducing as early as possible. And that's something that we saw with Eden last season and that whole crazy child bride ceremony is, you know, those girls were probably between the ages of 12 and 15. I think Eden was only 15. So, you know, that's kind of where we're at. And, you know, it used to be back in the day, it was not uncommon for a young girl to get married at the age of 14. But it's also a time where our lifespans were a lot shorter you know, someone could theoretically, you know, get married, start having babies at 14, and then, you know, be dead 25 years later, just because lifespans weren't that long. So it's a bit, you know, old school, archaic, backwards. And um, it becomes kind of a running theme through this. And at first, I didn't kind of I was like, where are they going with this? Okay, they're just kind of driving this home. And, you know, it takes some time. But I think we finally get to what the real issue at, at hand is. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. So we see June continue to be positioned front and center in front of, of Matthew's bed on her knees praying this whole time. Um, from time to time, they bring in the other handmaids. Um, and I think this is where some of like the amazing shots come in is June on her knees in prayer. 
And, you know, there is this first shot of her where she's kneeling and she's like, I'm going to be here until there's a baby. And we see kind of the light progression in the room. You know, it's like the sun is going by. So it's just kind of one of those, you know, fast forward high speed moments where we get the idea that she's been sitting there all day, but, it, you know, it happens in a matter of seconds. The other two shots that I think were really kind of stunning and beautiful this episode were um, when the other handmaids were there praying with her. The first is um, they're in a formation. There are nine of them and they are three by three in kind of a perfect little square. June is at the front and center of that little cube and it kind of comes in from above, which is really cool. And, um, then later on, we see them in another prayer formation where they're in a semicircle. And of course, June is at the top of that semicircle kind of surrounding, um, surrounding of Matthew's bed. But in that first cube prayer formation, we see the woman, um, who I only know as, um, uh, Brianna, maybe, um, I don't know what her of name is formally. I just remember her name from when they had a scene in the grocery store. But Brianna kind of reaches out her hand to June to try and comfort her, understanding that, oh my God, she's been here for more than a month and this has just got to be, you know, so taxing. And June turns and looks at her and it's this look like June is dead inside. And you could tell that it frightens Brianna. Um, she gets this kind of look on her face and is scared, um, kind of looks back at her kind of concerned with fear. And then, you know, Aunt Lydia kind of blows the whole thing up and, you know, swats Brianna on the back for, um, you know, reaching out to try and show some human kindness to June. I mean, it's just, you know, um, it's, it's really interesting, um, this whole episode, because, you know, there's, I don't know, there's something about solitude and we see her, she has been alone so long with just kind of the sounds around her that of course, that's how this episode begins is with, um, the Belinda Carlisle song, uh, heaven is a place on earth. And it's kind of like, you don't understand where it's coming from. And it's like, well, if you are around enough beeping and dripping and ticks of the clock all day long, after 32 plus days, you're going to start hearing certain rhythms that remind you of certain songs. And if that's not a little crazy, I don't know what is. I mean, that's how bored she is, right? This is punishment for her. You know, it's very clear it's a punishment for her, but I can't help thinking of and making a direct comparison to all the people that are basically being detained at the border right now. And while I would say June's living conditions are probably markedly better, she's in a very clean environment and we don't see her being fed. We finally do see her sleeping in a bed at one point, but you know, we imagine that she's been able to take some bathroom breaks and, you know, maybe a shower here and there. But, you know, she is by herself for the most part. And then we have these people at the border who are, you know, 
basically in cattle pens um, where they don't have a clean environment or healthy living conditions, but at least they have each other. I mean, I don't know what's worse to be completely alone and just have your mind go or to be in a swampy environment where you smell here, never have a moment to yourself and you're still surrounded by people. I mean, I don't know, neither are ideal environments by any stretch of the imagination. It's torture either way you cut it. Um, you know, I don't know if you, if you put it all together, I don't know if you combined him in various different ways, you might get one acceptable outcome, but for the most part, it's, um, you know, it's, it's punishment, it's imprisonment and it's, uh, it's, you know, really questionable treatment of a person. She hasn't technically committed a crime, um, at least not when she's being charged with, because I think she'd be on the wall, but it just kind of feels like, um, you know, she's definitely being punished. So, um, you know, there's this scene in which of Matthew has a seizure, then they go in and they put some type of stent in her femoral artery. So it gets more fluids to the baby. And, um, at this time, June pleads with Aunt Lydia to go home. You know, it's clear she's breaking down. She's not feeling well. Um, and it, I don't know if it's just me, but I feel like the hospital tech overhears this. And he makes a very distinct, he gives June a very distinct look when he drops that scalpel, that blade into that little waste bin. And it makes me wonder, it's like, you know, I don't know. We could theorize forever about what that means. Is it, does he want her to kill herself? Does he want her to kill of Matthew because she's just there suffering? Um, I don't think June interpreted it really any way other than I can get to a weapon. I don't know. Um, it's interesting because you don't really know in Gilead who is really talking the talk and walking the walk and who might be, um, a revolutionary in disguise, right? Who might be working for the resistance, um, behind the scenes. And, you know, it makes it both difficult to trust anyone, but you have to make sure you're open enough to perhaps trust the right people. So it's, it's a very dicey situation. So June has really lost the plot. Um, Janine comes in, I guess her eye from when Matthew attacked her got infected. So she had to have some work done on it. And they had this really interesting exchange. Janine, we have to, we have to do something. Don't do that. She's one of us. Give that to me. Everything is always about you now, your problems. Get the fuck out of here. You're different. I don't like it. 
And I have to say, it's a complete role reversal. If we think back to the first season, when Janine is on the bridge with baby Angela, it was June talking Janine down, so to speak. She at least got the baby from her. Janine jumped anyway. And we see the reverse. And this is probably, I think, the sanest we've ever seen Janine is, you know, June basically says, we, this is how we help them. We, we kill them. We end them. And Janine has to remind June that of Matthew, whatever she's done, like Janine, Janine even said, I'm not praying for her, you know, and it's like, well, I think that's okay. Um, you know, after she, she beat her so severely, but what Janine hasn't let go of is at least the humanity to say, she's one of us and she's gone through all the same crap that we've had to go through. And in some ways, even more crap because she's given birth to three babies that she's had to give up with, which means she has had to have sex with at least four different commanders in this scenario. And when I say have sex, I mean be ceremonially raped, you know, Uh, it's just kind of the way it is. But I found it really interesting that they have basically completely switched positions And even after Janine leaves, I still don't think that, well, it's clear that June is not, it it wasn't enough to really convince June to not kill of Matthew. I mean, she didn't, but she still has that blade. And the next day, the commander whose baby of Matthew is carrying and his wife are, are there and talking with the doctor about, you know, the situation and June is theorizing, okay, who, which one of them can I get with this blade? And, you know, she kind of talks about the wife at first. She talks about the commander. And then she's like, well, if I'm going to go for someone, I might as well go for this doctor. And then who should walk in at this very moment but Serena Joy? And it was kind of like, ding, ding, ding. Now I know who I'm going to get. And so that exchange was really disturbing because it was definitely a, a cry for help from June. And yeah, she, she got a good swipe in at Serena. Um, it was hard to tell if she, if she caught blood or not. Um, I didn't see any, but I think Serena was freaked out to the point where she knew June wasn't well. And considering she always thought of June as one of the strong ones, I think that really disturbed her. And at least Serena has enough humanity left in her that she didn't full out report her for the attack. I mean, she told the doctor and I think she really told that doctor, you know, she, she could have told, I don't know, is it like the eyes or the guards or someone and they could have dragged June off right there, but she told the doctor and I think she told that doctor she is not well, um, this is what happened. And so there's at least a little bit of humanity there, some concern for June, um, which is honestly very surprising considering the last two interactions that uh, these women had together, uh, which was, um, you know, like sticking a knife in your heart, twisting it around a few times. It was pretty, um, pretty brutal and ugly, but Serena still has a shred of compassion in her to be concerned And so 
that is when we have this really interesting scene between the doctor and June. And, you know, it took me a minute. I think it was on the second watch through because I was like, who is this actor? You know, because I didn't look him up right away. I'm like, he's very like familiar and comfortable. I feel like I've seen him in something before. And it's like, yes, 20 years ago, he was Billy in um, Ally McBeal. And so this is Billy as a doctor in Gilead. Somewhere else that people might recognize Gil Bellows from is Shawshank Redemption, which of course is a movie beloved by many. So it was really interesting to see Gil Bellows. Like, I'm sure he's done stuff in the past 20 years, but I feel like this is really the first time I've seen him in quite a long time and anything. And I loved the scene between he and June. And I loved it even more um, when it turns out that he knew who her mother was. And I think, I think that connection, like he's a doctor and I think he was going to care for her anyway, but I think that connection that he knew her mother just made it better somehow. And I feel like, gosh, if it wasn't for that intervention, June would have been completely lost because he talked to her both as a physician and then I think as someone that just cared. You feel hopeless. How should I feel? Doctor, she's someone's child, too. I honor the handmaid's life by saving her child. Will you honor your daughters? Regardless of the position he's in now, I don't know. Who knows? Um, I'd be really curious. I don't know if we'll ever see his character again, but I I liked him. Um, I think there's there's something about him um, that was really really interesting and. I don't know, maybe maybe he'll be back. Um, and I have a theory of how he could potentially come back. But we'll get to that at the end when, when everything is revealed. So one night of Matthew's medical bells and whistles start going off. June sees the spot of blood on her sheet. And it's clear it looks like she's miscarrying the baby. So they go in. They do an emergency C-section. The baby's out. It's a boy, which, you know, it's it's somewhat better than if it had been a girl. I think that was, you know, that was of Matthew's big fear, right? That it was going to be a girl. And what would her life be like in Gilead? So June finally gets to leave. We don't know how many days she's really been there. I'm betting just based on the timeline of... When of Matthew told June she was pregnant to this emergency C-section, I'm going to say the whole, like maybe that baby delivered at, uh, I don't know. Um, I'm not as up to speed on when lungs are fully formed, but I think the doctor said at one point it'll be another six weeks and it's hard to tell. So maybe... Maybe she ended up delivering at around 30 weeks. 
So I bet June was probably there between two and three months is just kind of my guess. Um, so it's a long time. She's finally getting to go home. And on her way out, she runs into one of those young girls in pink who offers to help carry her suitcase out and has some questions. She's like, oh, you know, did you have a baby? And, you know, she's very curious. And then there's this little exchange between the two of them. And I think this is where things start to churn inside June's mind. June goes outside and she gets to take her first breath of fresh air in, you know, weeks, uh, weeks and weeks. And we see Aunt Lydia there and June basically says to her, She's still alive. Not for much longer, as I understand. God will call her home soon enough. It's been quite an ordeal. And Lydia, I need to stay with her, if I may. That would be very kind of you. Go in grace, Sir Joseph. And after this, Aunt Lydia looks super proud of June. And I honestly don't think June did this to score brownie points with Aunt Lydia. I think it was because, well, I, I think she she did feel like she needed to go back in and stay with of Matthew to the end. But I also think on her way out, she saw another like six of those girls come in. And I think this is when it really hit her what she had to do. And I think she wanted to be able to go back in. And even though if Matthew can't understand her, probably, um, if she can hear her, you know, it's hard to tell what state she's really in. It's not a good one. She's about ready to die. But I think June wanted to make her peace with Matthew and tell her her plan. He's a fighter. And he doesn't deserve to grow up in this place. He deserves to be free. They all deserve to be free. So, Mally, I'm gonna get them out. I'm gonna get out as many children as I can. I don't really know how yet, but I swear to you, Gilead should know how this feels. It's their turn to hurt. And so she reveals her plan, which is she is going to try to get all the children out of Gilead. And in some ways, when I saw the look on her face when she said this, I'm like, Oh my God, she is still super crazy. 
But at the same time, her reasoning makes perfect sense. And, you know, she, this is, I think this is the revenge that June wants to take now. I think for so long, well, for at least the last few episodes, June was all about herself, you know, and this is something that Janine had said to her. She's like, it's all about you these days, you know, Um, and I don't like it. And I think June finally kind of snapped out of that mode and between what Janine said to her, what the doctor said to her and seeing all those girls and talking to that one girl, Rose, she's like, this is what it has to be. We have to get all the children out. It's, it's really going to be the only way. So, um, that is June's big plan. And I mean, she's got some connections, you know, she's hooked in with the Martha. She could, you know, she's kind of hooked in with Commander Lawrence. Who, who knows where that's going to go. This is what also made me wonder about the doctor. He's in a position to have access to babies and a position to have access to young girls that are there for their exams. And he, I could see him, like, whether he sticks around or not, someone like that could be very valuable to June's plan. So we'll see how this happens. We'll see if it happens. I have another theory that I think Commander and Mrs. Lawrence will probably get involved in this effort just because based on the sneak peek for the next episode, it looks like it looks like Fred and High Commander Winslow are on this mission to break the Lawrences. And I don't want to give too much away about what I saw. I mean, maybe you watched it too and you're just, you know, kind of as like a pit in, the, pit in your stomach as I am about what's going to happen, what could happen next. It's hard to tell where it's all going to go, but I could see this being a point that could be pivotal to really lighting a fire under Commander Lawrence to do something different because he's going to have to face the repercussions of the society he created in a way that I don't think he is prepared to do. So um, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Okay, so for the Sister and Mr. Resistors of the Week, I want to give this to... It's still really hard to give this to June. I mean... Up until her reveal of what her plan was going to be, I can't say she was a resistor. She was, uh, I don't know, she was, she was lost. She was mentally unwell. She was suicidal, uh, homicidal. <laughs> you know, it was not, she wasn't in a good place. I think we saw her slowly starting to earn her resistor badge back at the end of the episode. I do want to give it to Janine, I think, this week because she resisted against June's selfishness and craziness and helped somehow talk her down off the ledge and, you know, resisted June's kind of influence and power because I think June has had a lot of influence and power over these handmaids. And as we all know, influence and power can be a dangerous thing sometimes. And I think it's good that Janine resisted June in this very broken, lost form that she was in. So 
uh, Janine leads the pack as the sister resistor on the show this week. And then um, in real life, so I'm giving sister and Mr. Resistor awards to any person who is an immigrant or person of color who lives in the United States who someone has told at one time or another to go back to where they came from. Because what happened this week was horrifying. There are things in this country that would not be possible without the immigrants that have come here over time. Stand up for your friends. I, I can't I can't tell you how many people that that I know, who I've been friends with for years, who I've worked with, who I really expect, that this week over social media shared their stories about the time someone told them to go back to their country, whether they were an immigrant, a person of color, you know, it's just like there was no in-between and it's just super ridiculous. Um, It's super ridiculous. Thank you so much for listening. I hope everyone has a great week. I hope you know, we have a bit of an upturn in terms of humanity. If you need to have your faith restored in humanity, I'm going to plug that uh, the fourth season of Queer Eye is on Netflix, which is great. It's so heartwarming. The, some of the people that they are helping transform their lives are doing super great things in their community. Um, you know, kind of a lot of activists, Uh, cultural arts people. They helped a vet who has been building tiny homes for homeless vets. It was just a really nice uh, grouping this week. And so that is my tip to everyone. If you want um, a little bit of a warm, fuzzy feeling, I love those Fab Five guys. They're awesome. And more than ever, don't let the bastards grind you down. It's hard. Sometimes every day it seems harder, but we have to stay focused on what's at hand and what's at stake, and we need to stick together and work together. So thanks so much for listening again.